Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, crumbling sewers, burst pipes, polluted beaches, unsafe and unaffordable drinking water. The nation's water infrastructure needs a major overhaul, and the government wants to take on the job. Our proposals for water management uh, will produce lower bills for ratepayers and better services. But the plan has provoked anger from some councils. It's a slap in the face and straight out, straight out theft of their assets. We've got so many things in every community. You're juggling these balls. And when we put our rates up, I never hear the government coming in and saying, hey, that's great, well done, your community needs to pay. They don't support us. There are cash incentives to get with the program. The government has put a $2.5 billion sweetener on the table to get local councils on board with massive three waters reforms. But some councils aren't buying it. What is the government's three waters plan and why is it causing such a ruckus? The government's just revealed a shake-up that'll merge 67 existing water organisations into four. The no-swim notices on our beaches, the frequent and sometimes near-permanent boil water notices for some of our communities. I know this is a situation none of us want. Councils have been making a botch of it up to now. Some of these water authorities have been run disastrously badly. Something has to change. Jonathan Milne is the managing editor of Newsroom Pro. He says the big shake-up we're seeing today started with what happened in Havelock North in 2016. Havelock North was a disaster and it was a tragedy. What we had then was um, a infected water supply. I had friends in Havelock North and the, the pain was massive for them. They were telling their kids, oh, you've got a bug, you need to drink more water, make sure you hydrate, not knowing not knowing that it was the water sick. that was making them sick. And you can imagine how that felt for them as parents. In the end, four people died and 5,000 people fell ill. 70 developed reactive arthritis, while up to 240 had similar symptoms. I was going from both ends and it went on continuously for 10 days. I was classed as intensive care status, but there was no room for me intensive care, so I was isolated in a ward. It was a massive third-world-scale um, water disaster and shouldn't have happened in a, in a developed country like New Zealand. And I think that was a real wake-up call for local government and for central government that we needed to get our water in order. For a long time, our water has been owned and run by local councils. We've got 67 of them. So they've got massive range and capacity of as to how they can actually handle this highly technical supply of drinking water, of wastewater and of stormwater. You know, this is sophisticated engineering these days. We've got these quite small councils trying to run these drinking water supplies and, to be blunt, some of them have made a hash of it. And even some of the bigger ones. And just um, look what we've had happening with the wastewater pipes. Burst pipes, a sinkhole, a water geyser in a suburban street. Wellington's water woes are fast becoming daily disasters. Again, this shouldn't be happening. And, as, and I think everyone accepts now that we need to move really fast on it. So let's talk about what is actually being proposed. The government is saying they want four new entities to take over. And this is what they'll look like. One region to cover Auckland and Northland, another for Waikato, Bay of Plenty, Taranaki and parts of Manawatu and Whanganui. The third will cover the rest of Manawatu and Whanganui as well as central regions and the top of the South Island. And the fourth entity will cover most of the South Island. 
the government says moving the country towards this new structure is crucial. Part of the work also includes a new national water regulator, Taumata Arawai. The government estimates New Zealand will need to invest between $120 and $185 billion into water infrastructure over the next 30 years. The Department of Internal Affairs has put together some numbers that the government is relying on very heavily. They say that some communities will be paying, on average, $9,000 a year in water rates by 2051. That's 30 years away. If they um, don't transition. In today's dollars, if they don't transition. Whereas they say that some communities will be paying as little as $800 a a year in water rates if they do transition. Um, Either way, it's not going to be flat. Um, There will be some parts of the country that pay more than, than others. But I think there's real doubt among councils that I've spoken to around the integrity of those numbers. It seems highly, highly speculative. None of the mayors I've spoken to have a great deal of confidence in those forward projections. Uh, what we do know is that given the current state of the infrastructure, it needs a lot of investment. Someone's going to have to pay for that. The councils, most of our councils cannot borrow the money to upgrade their waters infrastructure because they're just too indebted already. They're already hitting their debt caps. So th- there's only one way to do this, and we see that happening in, in, in Auckland right now which with the announcement that they're going to double rates over the ne- water rates over the next 10 years. That's the only way they can pay for it and under the existing model. So if increases in water rates are to be reined in at all, the only way that's, that's going to be done is getting some big efficiencies of scale by merging, one way or another, merging water infrastructure across multiple councils. Whether this is the right ownership structure, whether um, with, uh, shifting the ownership into these, old, uh, these new assets, into these new authorities, I don't know if that's the right ownership structure. But what I do know is that the existing ownership structure does, gives us no room to actually pay to upgrade our water infrastructure. I would expect that regardless we're going to see more and more councils first and then ultimately those four authorities moving towards metering. We have to. We have to in order to protect the, the, the environment, in order to um, manage just transition with climate change. We, we're going to need to meter our water. We can't have unconstrained water use. Why have councils made such a mess of this? Uh, look, it's scale to a large part. Um, but the trouble is most of those who haven't had something go wrong don't accept that it's their problem. But we've got we've got quality problems, we've got debt problems, um, we've got massive cost blowouts in some of them. On the other hand, you've got far more councils that have been massively underinvesting in their water, have just been kicking the can down the road, hoping that somebody else, hoping that the next council will do what has to be done, raise rates and pay or, or borrow money to pay for new infrastructure, and they've been blithely spending the money on stuff that their communities love instead, you know, con- Christmas concerts in the park or libraries. Um, rather than on the stuff, the boring, ugly stuff like pipes that needs to be done to keep us safe. I've talked to mayors and chief executives of more than 50 of the of the country's 67 councils in the last month or two. A lot of them feel that their water infrastructure is really well run, but their neighbours, they're happily, happy to tell me how badly run their neighbours' infrastructure is. And this is really where we, where we get to the crunch, that... 
some councils feel they're doing their water pretty well, their three waters pretty well. They feel that their water's clean, that it's well run, that it's um, that the infrastructure's modern and up to date. Whangarei is in a, in a really good position where we've got great um, uh, infrastructure and assets and, and we have no debt on the assets. So there's no, there's no advantage for us to uh, change the management model of, of our assets. They've come up with a variety of different proposals where we'd take over the responsibility for Northland, we'd take over responsibility for Thames Coromandel. I don't really think that it's appropriate that Auckland water rate payers would be paying for upgrading of uh, infrastructure in areas beyond our own city. You get councils like Whangarei in Auckland, for instance, who say, we've got really good clean drinking water. We appreciate that our neighbours in Kaipara or far north have got a problem, but that's not our problem. And that's where it really comes down to the crunch. And I've got a lot of sympathy for the councils on both sides here because on the one side you've got mayors like Phil Goff in Auckland and Cheryl Mai in Whangarei and Nigel Owens in Timaru who say, my water's okay. When I was sworn in, my oath of office as a mayor was to serve first and foremost my ratepayers. So if we're going to change this, you need to show me that my ratepayers are going to benefit significantly. Right now they say, we don't see it. On the other hand, you've got these small councils which are which are seriously broken, and they're saying we need to take a national approach to it. We need um, that's bigger than just just individual councils. We need to look after each other on this. For us in Lower Hutt and Wellington region, we face a trifecta of issues. Uh, we need to change the way we do things. I do think bigger entities can service local communities well. The devil's in the detail, though. And details are still pretty vague. For example, when it comes to who will own the infrastructure. I don't think the government's quite worked out the details around ownership. The language has changed. So initially they were saying that these four new entities, or authorities I'm calling them, would be publicly owned. People started getting nervous in, in local bodies and saying, well, wait on, these are our assets that we built up and we paid for out of our rates over decades, over generations. Are you seizing them off us and turning them into government assets? So the government's changed the language now and is now saying that they're going to be locally owned. But that itself is also a point of tension, especially around who pays for existing debt. What the government has said to councils like that is we will take over all that debt, or to be strictly accurate, the new water authorities will take over all that debt. And um, so that will just move straight across. What that doesn't account for is councils like Whangarei, which say they have no debt on their um, uh, on their water infrastructure. And they're saying, well, look, we own this freehold. We've paid for this up front. Our ratepayers own this. You should compensate us because you're taking their assets off us. And that's where the government is saying no way. They're saying we will clear debt to leave, leave councils with a clean balance sheet, but we, we are not buying the assets because the government says you still own it. They're still going to be locally owned, so we're not buying the assets off you, so we're not going to compensate you for that. There are question marks around locals having a seat at the table. The local communities and local iwi will be represented on a governance body of sorts, which will have some big sort of um, high-level oversight of the direction and strategy and vision of these water authorities. But bear in mind, these are big water authorities. So individual councils, rightly enough, feel that they're not going to have an awful lot of influence. And this governance body will then appoint another board, which in turn will appoint the executive. 
So it's very, very arm's length. The ownership structure, even though councils and communities are being told that they, as locals, will still own their water assets, they're not going to get a dividend. They're not going to have a shareholding. Um, they can't buy or sell their uh, their, their shares in these um, water assets. So it's really um, ownership in only the loosest possible t- um, sense of the word. To be fair, um, already some of these water authorities are run at greater arm's length than they used to be. Um, if you take water care in Auckland, which has invested something like $10 billion in, in, in Auckland's water infrastructure and is planning to invest another $11 billion in the next 10 years, um, so a lot of money going into that, they're, they're quite removed from council. They're a council-owned company, but the council can't tell them exactly how to act. It can't tell them exactly what rates to set. They actually set the rates for Aucklanders, um, the water rates, um, and the council can't dictate what that level is. So they are quite independent already. But um, I think the new authorities will be significantly more so. I think what we do need to remember is we're moving from a very bad place. The new structure is not probably doesn't look ideal, but by gosh, the councils have been making a botch of it up to now. I mean, it's been, some of these water authorities have been run disastrously badly, um, and you, you know, we've talked about it, I'm not using the word disaster lightly. Something has to change, and if there's a little bit less local democratic accountability, I'm not sure that that's the worst thing in the world if it saves lives along the way. How many councils are opposing signing up? A lot of them have genuinely not made up their minds yet. Like I say, we've got 67 councils. Rightly enough, they're seeking more information from the government and from the Department of Internal Affairs. Um, there's a lot of decisions that haven't been made yet, like the, like the boundaries of, um, of the four authorities. Um, and then they want to talk to their, to their ratepayers, to their citizens. It's clear that some are leaning strongly in one direction or another. By my count, there's 18 that are pretty clearly indicating that they're not liking this, these reforms and they want out. On the other side, there's some councils that not only are very enthusiastic about the re- reforms but also believe that they should be made mandatory. Because I think what the advocates of the reforms agree is that it's going to be really difficult if you have a patchwork across the country. Mm. If you've got... Let's let's take that that Northland example. We've got four councils up there: Auckland, then Kaipara, then Whangarei, then f- Far North. Now, if Auckland and Whangarei opt out, that leaves Far North and Kaipara, two of the more fragile, more vulnerable water systems in the country, having to patch something together on on their own, and it's just not going to work. They need to be um, getting the economies of scale and the um, skills and expertise that would be part of being a bigger water authority. I mean, Kaipara, only one in four people are actually on town drinking water supply there. So we've got a community there that's really got really low levels of service around their three waters. They can't continue like that but they also can't fix a problem on their own. And in my view, their neighbours in Auckland and Whangarei need to be taking a good hard look at themselves and saying, yes, we know. We know that our first obligation, our oath of office, is to our ratepayers, but we also have an obligation to our wider community. In a way, it seems almost like the government 
will have to lay down the law at some point to avoid a patchwork like you've described. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a story that I reported a couple of months ago, and since then the government has quietly tried to push along towards building a consensus, but always knowing that it's got that stick ready to wield um, behind its back if it needs to. The local government conference in Blenheim uh, a week or two ago, the government made a really determined effort to win hearts and minds. They don't want to force this down people's throat. They know that it could be a political battle that even for this fairly popular government could be very, very hard to win. So they don't want to make it mandatory. So they put out all the stops. Um, the Prime Minister turned up with four front bench ministers, including the Minister of Finance and the uh, Minister of Local Government. And Jacinda Ardern also turned up ready to spend big. July last year, the government provided $710 million for councils to invest in Three Waters infrastructure and services. In this year's budget, we signalled $296 million to assist with the costs of transitioning to the new Three Waters arrangements. Today, I'm very pleased to announce a further $2.5 billion government support package for the sector. I talked about the stick behind their back, but, they, but first they want to use the carrot. And $2.5 billion of money for, uh, for councils, basically with very few strings attached. You know, here's, here's some money that you can spend on housing. Here's some money that you can spend on jobs. Did that well, sway any of the councils? I think it helped. I think what probably helped most of all was actually getting all the council leadership together in one room with the senior ministers and actually talking face-to-face and starting to appreciate each other's positions. I think for the counts, some of the councils that were leaning towards opting out, hearing the very real challenges that their, that their neighbours and councils further afield might be facing probably firmed up for them the, the real problem that the country's facing as a whole. But look, you know, two and a half billion... It doesn't go amiss. I think there's um, some important things we need to understand about that $2.5 billion. $2 billion of it is um, what the government is calling its better-off fund. It's going to make everyone better off. And they're divvying it up around the country according to population and according to socioeconomic deprivation. A lot of this is utterly unrelated to Three Waters. So there will be critics who call it a bribe, and it's very hard for the government to um, pretend it is directly related to the water. Then there's another $500 million that they call the No Worse Off um, Fund, and that is about the water. That is about the transition to the four new water authorities and dealing with anomalies like councils that uh, have particularly high levels of debt on their water infrastructure. They're going to spend a couple of years working through those to work, and they're going to dig deep into every council's balance sheet, into every council's infrastructure to work out whether councils really do need the the money that they're claiming or whether they're just um, making a grab for this um, sudden pot of cash that's available. The other important thing about this money is only one billion of it is actually coming from taxpayers. The other one and a half billion is coming from the water authorities, which haven't been set up. So basically it's being advanced against those water authorities or the councils will have to wait for those water authorities to come into existence before they can get that money. And where do you think they're getting that, those water authorities are getting that $1.5 billion from? 
that actually comes from the councils because the only assets that those water authorities will have are the assets that are handed over to them from the councils when when the transition happens. So what the government has told mayors and councils is here's a billion and a half dollars of your own money that we're giving back to you. Do you think the government have gone about this the right way? There have been missteps along the way. There was um, a, a terrible advertising campaign. Imagine Aotearoa without good water. What a stink-ass place that would be. Really upset a lot of councils, a lot of mayors, which... Um, and, and look, a lot of our readers will have seen it on their TV screens, um, uh, talking about the nasties and our, uh, and our drinking water and... Um, and how unsafe our water is. That's why we've got a plan, because we're water's biggest fan. So let's make it better than fine. Better water is better for everyone. You know, mayors and councils who worked very hard on their water infrastructure to try do what they could to get it up to scratch were pretty miffed by that, um, and they took it very hard. And, and, and the government did, um, government official did end up apologising for that campaign and re- pulling it back and redrawing it. But big picture... Is the government going about it the right way? Yeah, I think they have. They've communicated a lot. They've offered incentives. They've worked really hard, and they're continuing to work really hard at building a consensus across the 67 councils. They have hinted that they carry this big stick of making it mandatory, but they've never gone beyond hinting, and I really believe that they would not want to have to use that stick they would really like to, like to get the 67 councils on board of their own free will. Councils have eight weeks to provide feedback on the proposed reforms. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode. Jeremy Veal engineered it. Thanks to Jonathan Milne. Matewa. <laughs>